Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey there, welcome to episode 374 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to delve into the fascinating topic of sexual harmony and chemistry. We'll explore that what they actually look like and how they're defined in Love by Design by Dr. Sara Nasserzadeh. Plus, we'll touch upon other areas like mood enhancers and diminishers, as well as the touch lexicon. I've got this interesting and funny story about how I stumbled upon Dr. Sara Nasserzadeh many years ago. So my parents, bless their open-mindedness, were pretty supportive when they found out I was all about sexual health and hosting an English sex podcast. But here's the twist. My mom practically begged me not to do a Farsi podcast. She had her reasons, you know, reminding me that in our culture, as you guys know, I'm Iranian, we don't really have the concept of sex therapist. It's either you're a sex worker, which is trafficked, or a gynecologist. And since I'm not a gynecologist, you can guess what my mom thought was the only other option. One day, while I was sweating it out at the gym, my mom sent me this urgent text saying, check this out. I immediately thought something went wrong. But when I clicked on the link, it was a video of Sara speaking in Farsi on BBC. I was so surprised that all I could respond with was a question mark. And you know what my mom said? She went, if you're going to talk about sex, at least be like her. (laughs) She's proper. I couldn't resist adding, why don't you adopt her as your daughter then? Now, fast forward to many years later, guess what happened? I had the incredible chance to meet Dr. Sara Nasserzadeh at Esther Pearl's house where she was speaking. And let me tell you, I was 
instantly hooked. Not only is she super knowledgeable, but she's also such an engaging speaker. So here comes her brief bio, but make sure you are clicking on the show notes and read the whole bio. Dr. Sara Nasserzadeh, PhD, is a world-renowned author, speaker, and thinking partner. She has a PhD in social psychology and specializes on sexual health and relationships. Dr. Nasserzadeh has been a senior cultural advisor for governments, UN agencies, academic institutions, and Fortune 500 companies. She has multiple articles, books, and book chapters to her credit with her newest book, Love by Design, Six Ingredients to Build a Lifetime of Love, be released globally on February 5th. With a fresh perspective on human connectivity, Dr. Nasser Zades used proven research to convey how six ingredients are needed for a thriving relationship from bedroom to boardroom. Get ready for an exciting conversation with the incredible Dr. Nasser Zadeh. Coming right up. No time to waste. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to welcome Dr. Sara Nasserzadeh to our show. Dr. Sara, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. You are such a wonderful, insightful speaker. I know I had the pleasure of seeing you talk first time at Esther Perel's conference. And I know that I was with my friends and they all loved your conversations and teaching. And I was so excited to hear that you wrote this book. And it's such a needed book. I know many of our audience, there are couples in long-term relationship and maintaining love and passion. It's one of those things that they always ask about how can we do that? So I know in your book, you talk about six ingredients to build a lifetime of love. And one of the main ingredients in my eyes is chemistry. So can you tell us more about that? Sure. So one of the main ingredients from the six ingredients is attraction. Within attraction, what we found in our research was actually beyond sexual chemistry. It was physical attraction which goes way beyond that chemistry. And then to give people some ideas as how this looks like, so that it's not just a concept, there are so many building blocks and exercises to help them develop sexual harmony versus sexual chemistry. So sexual chemistry might bring people together and sexual harmony is what is needed to keep that connection and go deeper and deeper without losing the edge. Such an interesting concept, right? Because I think in my eyes, I get like what sexual chemistry look like and it comes with that passion and edge. But I think cultivating and keeping sexual harmony is the most challenging piece. So can you tell us more about that? So initially, let's go uh, to broaden our perspectives around attraction. In our research, when we were, we were asking people about sexual chemistry, we realized that chemistry is something that people bring people together to create something, create an experience, create something from their own, each, each of their own individual perspective, so to speak. But then in long-term couples, like for example, just to give people some ideas, this is based on the account of 312 couples that I personally work with and they self-identified. These people gave us some understanding of what are the key ingredients, so to speak, as I call them. And then we took them, these ingredients, to a validation study with 159 couples that 
longest duration that they've been in a thriving relationship to their own words, it was 40 years. And the shortest duration was one year. So between one year to 40 years of thriving relationship, everybody wants that, right? So one of the things that came up from that, from all of these was as you are chemically coming together, evolutionary speaking, you are coming together with people who are a little bit different than you, genetic wise, to create cute and healthy babies. So that's creation. That's for uh, procreation, right? But for sexual harmony is we are going to keep it as a part of that relationship that we have, right? So therefore, it's not the piece that keeps the relationship together in long term again, because there's nothing wrong if people come together for fun, then million from chandelier, hot sex, wonderful for that, right? But this book is specifically for people who would like to build something with someone, right? So within that, if we really think about what brings the two people together is attraction, right? And again, based on multitude of research, we know what makes that happen. For example, proximity, familiarity, the shared values. There are so many different factors like financial attraction, social attraction, physical attraction being one of them, right? So within that, when people come together, it's very important to go beyond that physical attraction and try to build different levels of attraction, different nuanced levels of attraction with one another so that over a period of time, they can co-create a space together. I can go a little bit deeper. We talk about sexual chemistry and sexual harmony in the book. The way that I can really use the analogy that just came to my mind actually right now is, you know how people go to media and then they get disappointed because they're like, what is this false information? Media was not created to give you correct information. Media was created to give you entertainment. So if sexual chemistry was created in you evolutionary wise to create cute little babies and then move on with your life, then how can you put that as a basis to come together and then build a whole lifestyle without doing anything further, right? So this is the piece that we need to really keep in mind, the expectations that will bring to sexual chemistry, right? And then after that initial attraction that we have to one another, we need to learn to how to touch the other person, how to be around them, how to make them feel special. All of that, you know, I play a tune, you play a tune, and then we create this harmony with one another through learning about ourselves, the other person general terminologies and knowledge around sexuality. So that is the piece that I would like to introduce to people, but not in conceptual way, really, like through what is sexual blueprint that you bring to the relationship? What is the touch lexicon? What is sexy type? How to do that also is included. I love the depth of different kind of like depth that your book entails when you're talking about all different kind of like the ideas and research paired with practical tools. Because I know that many people want to build the lasting love, right? So I think it's easier for people initially to come together based on the chemistry and attraction, but cultivating a meaningful sexual life and experience, it's really difficult and requires commitment. And I, I believe no one is teaching us that, that, right? We see all this passion and falling love, but no one is teaching you what it takes to have a passionate sexually connected, meaningful relationship. So one thing I, I want to hear your thoughts on that is about, can you create a satisfying sexual experience as with your long-term partner if you didn't experience chemistry from the beginning as one of the ingredients? 
if you didn't have the chemistry, meaning those sparks, those sharp orange color, as I see it, right? It's very difficult to create it later. However, if you came together and initially you, you felt like physically attracted to this person, so this is a person that I enjoy touching, enjoy being touched by, enjoy being around them. Nothing about them is a pet peeve, physically speaking. And nothing about them is repulsive for us, so to speaking, right? I'm just going to the extreme side of the spectrum, right? And if you really find them physically appealing, yes, you can create sexual harmony. However, if you haven't had that physical attraction to begin with, if from the get-go you didn't like the way their mouth moved, for example, the way that they their body composition looks, this is not something that you're going to change. It, it's not. I, I hear you and I'm thinking about it in the same way. I know that I talked about this story before in my podcast. I know we're coming from a similar background. So I remember ever since I was a child, my grandmother, she was married through arranged marriage and she had this like wonderful house, loving husband. But ever since I was, I don't know, five, she was continuously telling me, do not get married without chemistry. prioritize chemistry so that's why I always thought about okay attraction comes first but when I become a psychologist and sex therapist I realized that attraction cannot be the only ingredient right it helps you to come together as you mentioned at the beginning of the experience but it's not leading to the lasting satisfying experiences so one of the things that you brought up was this lexicon of touch, like playing a tune. And that's also something else that's hard for so many people to learn on how to receive touch, how they kind of like give a touch that's meaningful. Tell us a little bit about that skill. Is that something that we can cultivate? Is it something that comes internal? Absolutely. So one of the things is, I love what your grandmother said, by the way. (laughs) It's really interesting because people have different ideas as what matters to them most, right? So for people who chemistry or that really hot, passionate sex is really important, you need to know that about yourself. So that's another piece of love by design. Know yourself. The third chapter is all that, what we bring to love, right? Now let's go back to the touch lexicon. A lot of us in long-term coupledom, we have different roles that we play. Parents, lovers, thinking partners, co-cooking foods, you know, co-home managers, you know, in-laws to each other's families. We have a lot of roles. Each of those roles, if you really think about them, they should really be accompanied by a certain touch. And that's an exercise that I give to my couples. I say, look, sit together and then give each other a form of touch and then have the other person guess it. What kind of touch do you think I gave you? And then the other person says, no, comforting. And then this person says, no, it was loving. Or for example, the other person says, well, that was reassuring. The other person says, well, that was my seductive touch. You know, it's really important for us to differentiate those. For example, we might, before we go to bed, some people might kiss each other on the lips or on the cheeks or on the forehead. Imagine that we are a couple, right? I want to go to bed. You give me a kiss on the forehead. And this is the way that my father put me to bed every night as a child. Then I need to be able to differentiate these two from one another, right? If I want you to kiss me as a lover, I have to have that understanding to tell you, hey, can you please expand your lexicon a little bit? Because this is the way that my father actually kissed me. Can you please do it this way? 
if you want to close the day with our rules as lovers, right? So really it's something very, very simple, simple as that. Or for example, I see a lot of couples who touch each other. I, I see them in my office. They touch each other not very kindly. They might be each other's pal, like tapping each other on the shoulder. Or for example, banging their hands on the other person's knee. They're like, oh, how funny you are or, you know, whatnot, right? So that is not a touch that you give when you want to be emphasizing the role of a lover, for example, to your partner. And it goes with touch, it goes with words, it goes through all of the five senses and the energy that we have around each other. But it's specific to touch lexicon, it's very important to make sure that all of those six ingredients that which we will get to are at play to inform you and inform the way that you are physically in connection with one another. I love that you, you kind of give this invitation to your clients to kind of identify what kind of a touch is this? What are you trying to communicate? I think that's very powerful. And I know that working with lots of conservative people from conservative community, that there is this element of shame connected with sexual touch. So as they're receiving a sexual touch, they might shut down or they might not even be able to register it in a positive, loving, passionate way. What's your thoughts on that? Well, when we talk about conservative couples or from conservative communities, usually that is not only dictated by the culture. Sometimes there are religious nuances, as you know, there are different, different factors, right? One way that I work with that is to find what is helpful. Let's say, for example, if I'm working with a person who is from a very religious community, whatever religion that is, I try to look into that religion to see what works for me. Let's say, for example, I want the couple to touch one another. So I will ask them to see within that couple, then let's say, for example, no touch with the opposite sex is allowed or those sort of instructions, but within the constitute of marriage or the coupledom or within the constitute of engagement leading to marriage is allowed. Then I find that very helpful to have a conversation with them and emphasize that piece that you are going to have those roles for one another. This is the role that you haven't had before, but you've been in most of the conservative religious communities. This is the role that you prepare for for all your life. So this is an angle that I would like to work with usually to take that and rechannel the shame into the being a mobilizing factor rather than immobilizing factor. And then when they come together within that constitute, it is allowed, then it becomes a certain level of conversation with people that we are going to have. And I don't know, I don't want to be too like from a provider's perspective, but I know that you have a lot of providers also listening to this podcast. So this is not in the book, this is in the training realm, but I think people might find it helpful, especially for conservative and for uh, religious communities. It's very important for the provider to have some sort of authority over the issue. So it's not out of curiosity that, okay, so you can't touch each other, please educate me. Actually, in my humble opinion, as a provider, we need to educate ourselves beforehand to be able to help people get over that shame that you're talking about. So, for example, if I'm asking my couple to touch each other a certain way, coming from a person who knows, works with couples, has the authority to talk like that, they trust you. They are going to follow through or we can actually bring in another person to help the couple. If couples are listening or providers are listening who are facing a little bit of a block 
to remove that shame or enhance the qualities around it to allow moving past it. I would like to invite you to involve people who can help you. It could be an imam, it could be a mujtahid, it could be a, a rabbi, it could be your priest. or So whoever that is, the person who knows best about your religion, your place that your doctrine and instructions come from, you can actually approach them and say, within the constitute of marriage, here's what I need to do. I need to be able to touch my partner in a certain way. How can you help me? And in majority of established religions in the world, coupledom has golden value. So everybody will come to play, help you to achieve that goal. So that was a long answer to that, you know, short question that you have working with conservative groups. But there's a lot of nuance there that we can, you know, play with around that shame. I love that. I personally, I know I work with some couples within a conservative Jewish community, and I find that rabbis from that community, they've been just so helpful. And in a way, many of them sex positive. So I'm glad to kind of like hear that possibility of people integrating, inviting leaders into this journey so they can help people to get over that sexual shame. I know we keep talking about the six ingredients, and I'm sure our listeners are burning to know (laughs) what are those ingredients. So can you elaborate on those? Sure. In no particular order, they are attraction, trust, shared vision, compassion, respect, and acts of loving, being loving towards one another. And these all need to be mutual and reciprocal for them to work. What a comprehensive kind of definition and roadmap for kind of creating a loving relationship and partnership. How did you arrive to this recipe? Like there are so many different combinations out there. I know that you're a a strong research background. So I'm kind of curious, how come you chose those elements? Sure. I have to say the credit all goes to anybody that I worked with over the years, because also our research participants, because that's how these all have been born. So initially, the whole concept was born based on systems thinking. Uh, The works of Jamshid Karashidari informed me a lot, one of the most prominent figures in the systems thinking. Basically, the idea is that love is not a static entity, it's a dynamic entity, meaning that there are certain in, uh, certain elements, factors, ingredients, if you like, uh, as I call them, that have to be present constantly without a blink that they go off, right? Constantly they have to be present for this entity that I call emergent love to emerge, even have a chance to emerge, right? So that is the main concept, you know, the, the, the main difference that I would like to offer in this new model of love in the world, that the model that we grew up with was one plus one equals one. The two people come together, merge together, and then goody, so we are one, we are in love, right? The rest will follow. It's static, stuck there together. But with this new model is one plus one equals three. And the third one would be like the spark and a log coming together in a conducive context to make a fire. As long as all the elements are present, the fire is present, warm and warming. But as soon as you take away one of these elements, be oxygen, log or spark, it will die. So we can't really, if we want to come back to it, that's why I have issues with this reigniting anything. Because once it's dying or it's dead, then you are going to, you have to create something new. It's There's no way that you re- re- reignite the same thing. So that's why. 
Now, the way that I arrived at the six ingredients was I had enough of sitting in pain with my clients, heartbroken, all of that. So the model that I was trained in was how to help people to sustain couple them. That was not enough for me. First and foremost, selfishly, I was in one. I wanted to know how people can thrive, not just to succeed and sustain and survive, right? So I switched the question, going back to being a researcher, because your data is only as good as your questions that you ask, right? So I asked the question, what makes relationships and love thriving over a period of time, not just surviving? As soon as I switched that, then I started seeing different patterns. So I decided to go back to all of those pages upon pages. Yes, people, back then there were pages, no computer or iPad. And uh, so I went through all of my notes for 312 couples that I personally worked with across the world. And then I saw that little by little, there are certain words that are emerging, certain concepts emerging, like respect, compassion, and this is one and one. And then I didn't want to stop there because I ended up with six to eight concepts that kept emerging in couples that were really thriving in their relationships. I wanted them to be validated also as scientifically as possible. So I teamed up with Dr. Azarmina and then we did representative study across U.S. with 159 couples who self-identified as thriving to validate what we found. So it's not just a provider's perspective, right? And then, so based on that, we validated and super validated all of these six ingredients. That's why I honestly think they are non-negotiable if you really want to have a thriving relationship. The other thing that we found was it's not enough just to put it out there, say compassion, respect. We know that. I mean, there's nothing new about these concepts or words. The way that we define them needs to be different because the love we are experiencing is not new, but our life is evolving. Our lives are modern. So I was looking for something that is also helpful, meaningful, and to be quite honest, relevant to the context of our lives today. And that's how these are born. Such an interesting origin story. <laughs> so it seems like you've been thinking about it, gathering data around these concepts uh, for years now. And what I was thinking about when you were introducing these concepts, I was thinking that in a way we are repeating what we've seen in our family of origin, right? That how our parents were interacting with each other kind of in a way forms our definition of respect or the compassion we receive. That's the kind of template that we have. How can people update that? Like now they're in a relationship, they want better, but they haven't had those experiences. So what are the invitations you have for people that are struggling with having kind of like these skills? So to the point, so to the point, because we have literacy. If I ask anyone, anyone, anywhere, can you please define respect? They have a definition, some sort of literacy. And also thanks to all the information that is out there. But when you look at them, really observe them like a hidden camera. And then as we get to do with our you know, clients. So it's when, when we look at them, we see that the fluency is lacking. So that's my invitation with this book to show them the building blocks. That's why I call it love by design. First of all, we are restoring the sense of agency. Second of all, love doesn't just happen to us. Third of all, love is not what you thought it was. And I'm sorry, but I promise a better world. 
So if we abide by this emergent love, right? So that's one. The other one is I didn't just leave people hanging with the concepts. There are lots of building blocks, as you see in the book, lots of building blocks. And to, so to your point, yes, we either repeat what we are familiar with, the default, or we are running away from it so hard that we fall into another pit, right? So one of the things that I invite people to do along as they are flipping the pages is I want them to know their blueprints around all of these ingredients from attraction to compassion to acts of loving to all of it. Then we are going to deconstruct it the way that they hear it because common sense is socially constructed. So many people think, well, but that's called common sense. Yes, my love, but it's socially constructed. So let's go back, see who said that, right? Who said that? You just need to sit there and expect respect from your partner when you are not even respectable. When you are walking all over yourself, how can you expect that other people respect you? Okay, so I know that. I accept that. Where do I go from this? Here's a list of questions that you need to ask yourself. Where are my boundaries? Am I able to hold them lovingly and firmly? Or am I passive aggressive? Or I have zero boundaries? Or I have borders all around me? So those are the things that we are going to look at, so the blueprints from the family of origin, and then all the relationships that we experience. All of them have imprints in, um, on us as well. And then we are going to look into where emergent love is and what is needed in emergent love. The discrepancy between the two is going to be the journey to take, where to put your resources, time, energy, and efforts that you're going to put. And in this way, we are going to have a, like a coming in full circle that not only they know where they're starting, but also where they are going and how to go there. I really enjoyed how you kind of bring it up based on where you are, what are the, some of the innate qualities that you have, because we, all of us, based on our family of origin, culture, education, we have some skills and there are some gaps. So I love that you're thinking about identifying on those gaps and kind of working on the best way to help you get to the next destination. One thing that I wanted to hear from you is that for our listeners, that they are in the pursuit of kind of creating or increasing the sexual connection, harmony, partnership in the relationship. And they are tired of this five steps of reigniting love and passion and all of those commercialized things that we all wanted. I wish it was like three magic recipe. <laughs> for a lifetime passionate sex, but it it needs kind of requires more effort than that. So what what's your invitation for our listeners that they want to walk in this journey of creating a loving relationship long term? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I invite them to ask themselves a question. And if they can, if they are in a partner relationship, just ask their partners too. What is the meaning of sex to you? What is the role of sex? To you and look across your life up to this moment. So what do I mean by those? The meaning of sex is what does sex mean to me? Why do I think this is, why do I think I'm a sexual being? Why do I think I'm engaging in sexual acts? Why do I think for me, right? So the meaning is for me, personal. The role is what do I get out of this? So when I am engaging in that scenario, you know, in a sexy time or sexy interaction with somebody, what do I get out of this? 
what is my hidden, like overt and covert expectations about that? So let's be clear about that. And this is like an individual exercise, no shame attached, because this whole concept is to free you up. Okay. Because I know that many people go there and then they feel really ashamed. Oh my God, how could I think that that way? Right. There's no role normal. There's no abnormal. Your normal is your normal. Okay. Let's just get to know ourselves to be able to do something about it. So that's that. The other thing is I invite people to think about their five senses. Really think about the five senses and then the, you know, the sight and the smell, the taste, the hearing, the touch. And then think about when was the first time that you received any kind of information around sensuality and sexuality? So when was it? I was five. I was three. I was seven. I was 11. You know, whatever that was, right? And then write down talking one sentence if your body allows you to write or even think about it. Just think about what was it? Maybe you saw a visual on a TV, a TV show. Maybe you were like playing with your cat and something, some tingling sensation happened. Maybe somebody touched you. Maybe you touched somebody. So think about it. What was that? Who else was there? Did you talk about it? Do you feel like they shared the same thoughts and feelings that that touch provoked in you for them? Sit with it and think about, let's say, for example, let's say you were seven, you were holding your cat, your mom was sitting beside you, and all of a sudden you felt really warm and fuzzy in your genitals. And then you looked up, you look at your mother, your mother gave you a very warm smile as if it's okay. I see you. It's okay. Or maybe they didn't even know what was happening. Or maybe they saw what was happening and said, get the cat off of you. What was happening there? What were the sensations that you had? So think about that. Now move on to now. You are 30, 40, 50, 60, 80. Think about that incident and think about how would you think about it now that you have a long life you know, experience? Would you feel the same? Buzzy? Cozy, aroused, ashamed, happy, excited. Would you feel the same? If you hold the cat now, would that induce the same feeling? This is just one exercise that people can do to restore their sense of agency. Because a lot of people didn't have positive experiences and didn't have accurate information delivered to them. So giving them this sense of agency that whatever that I felt at the age of seven cannot dictate what I am now, should not dictate what I am now. It's very freeing. I can choose now. Now, I also want to be delicate that some people, it's very difficult sometimes to free up yourself from that, you know, those negative feelings specifically. But also sometimes along the way, we lose sight and touch with something that brought us pleasure, innocent pleasure, because there was so much societal shame and baggage on it. Let's reflect on that as well. And to build a new vocabulary, new lexicon, as we talked about, new experiences through five senses, now you are going to have a sense of agency. The smell that you're going to experience when you are having a pleasurable sexual experience with yourself or other people. You can have a little bit of essential oil and then sniff it every time that you are entering or exiting a good, satisfying sexual experience. That's conditioning of the brain, right? So little things, little things that we can do to enhance those sexual experiences, sexual understanding of ourselves, 
before we even start offering it to anybody else around us. I hope this is helpful. Oh, this is incredible. I want to tell you my life story. (laughs) (laughs) You have such a beautiful way of (laughs) putting all of this. I think it's very inviting and non-shaming. And I know the book is filled with lots of great actionable exercises that people can do in the privacy of their home or with their partner. Because I know sometimes even going to a sex therapist, that can be challenging. So it can be a very good starting point for people. So for our listeners that they want more of what we talked about today, more want to hear more about your work, your book, what are some of the places that they can go to to have access to those resources? So for daily doses of not very deep stuff, but daily doses to keep people on track and informed and inspired, I would say my Instagram page, Dr. Sarah Nasserzadeh, would be a good one. And, and obviously the book, Love by Design, Six Ingredients to Build a Lifetime of Love. It will be out and in the world globally available. And I honestly invite people to get that, not because it's my book. I have ego attached to it. And obviously I want everybody to read it. But honestly, I think we each can use a little different definition, different discourse around love, around sex, around the way we relate to one another, be it in intimate relationships and beyond. And as you know, I'm on a mission to create world peace, one relationship at a time. So come on board. (laughs) I love that. And thank you for all the meaning work that you do for people globally. I know you're involved with so many organizations and you do so many wonderful, you give so many wonderful talks. So we'll make sure we leave a link to your social media account, to the book, anything else that you want us to kind of like share with our listeners. Thank you for having me. You're such a gracious host. I appreciate it. And I, I just would love for anybody who hears my voice today and anywhere to truly believe that you do deserve to be in the loving relationship that you desire. Please don't let anyone, absolutely anyone, tell you otherwise. Well, thank you so much for that Perla wisdom. And again, I encourage everyone to get the book. And thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, I absolutely loved her book and I highly recommend checking it out. The concept of how our partner may experience touch differently than we intend was so fascinating to me. By the way, let me tell you about the amazing Afternoon Delight Valentine event that we hosted last week in West Hollywood. It was a huge success. And guess what? We sold out three weeks before the event. But you know what made it even more interesting? I had a chat with a gentleman afterwards. He was excited about exploring new activities in the bedroom because that's what we talked about. But he also shared his struggle with performance anxiety that often held him back. So I helped him out by sharing the link to my free mini course on managing stress both inside and outside the bedroom. If you're going through something similar, I highly recommend giving it a go. Just click on the link in the show notes and start working on those skills today. That's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks for listening the sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com please be advised that information presented on this podcast 
is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.